Hello, and welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show. We are live tonight. Hi, everybody. Well, not really live. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Um, we're, we're live in the sense that we are actually together in the same room, which is something we have not done no. uh, since we started this podcast. In fact, we haven't seen each other since we started the podcast, which is maybe even more unusual. That is. Although it was the last time we saw each other where we're like, you know what we should do? These conversations should be recorded, <laughs> man. Yeah. And that was kind of where we were. And t- tonight, really, our goal is to pick up some sponsors. I'm thinking this Bundaberg ginger beer is Bundaberg. like... Bundaberg. Yeah, it's, it's Ginger uh, beer. Wonderful. Australian family owned. Craft brewed over three days. So... <laughs> Invert bottle before opening. That's what they say here. Yeah, it is. It's my favorite, and it's um, lovely. And that's what we're drinking tonight in the studio, uh, which I've decorated with uh, at least one transformer um, and a whole bunch of of D and D dice. Now, who is this? Penn and Teller as Simpsons characters. Yes, over to my right here. Yes, the um, that is amazing. Yeah, I didn't uh, know that that existed. I know, and and Teller has a ball of magic. I won't take him out of the package, of course, <laughs> but <laughs> that's his prop down there. That's incredible. That, yeah, I was very excited. I bought those at Kamikaze last year. I think, I think you know, you, there's no doubt that you have reached a certain level of success when you have been not only turned into an action figure, but turned into a Simpsons derivative action figure. Exactly, yeah. You know, that well, sort of solidifies forevermore. You have, the, you have the cachet to be recognized during the, what is this, the 25 of the greatest guest stars. That's what, anyway, it's oh, a toy. Geez. I got Penn and Teller toys that are from the Simpsons. That's awesome. Yeah, um... I don't have a lot of of crap like that, but but uh, I don't know. I, I saw a lot to, of crap like that today. Honestly, I was in Chattanooga. There is a store called the Green Door Toys, uh, kind of in their East Nashville, East other side of town. You cross the river, and it's this this husband and wife team. They're young, you know, young couple. You walk in there, and I'm not even kidding you. It's a room. The, the room we're in right now, uh, where we're recording, it's about this size, and it has every single Transformer toy, a Ninja Turtle toy, My Little Pony, anything from the 80s or early 90s that you could ever want. And, and it was to the point, I had kind of intended to go in and pick up a few things to take back with me, and I got so overwhelmed, I had to leave uh, just to <laughs> sort my list out, went to have lunch, and then... I was going to go back, but I'm like, I, I, I don't have the time to go back in. So I didn't. So I'm going to have to give them some love next time I'm in town. But it's, it, was pretty, it was pretty ridiculous. And it was, wasn't one of those, um, you know how sometimes you walk into those toy stores and it's just kind of a, a you know, like a hoarder's design, you know, hoarder's oh, sure. mess. It's just you know, strewn about. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, but it was very nicely organized, very nicely displayed. And I was, I was very impressed with what they have going on. Yeah, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to mention this name. You and I have have talked a couple times about stores we like and stuff. We're happy to mention names of places we like. Yeah, there's a a, a place here locally in Nashville that I I, I should like, <laughs> but I don't. And you you've hit upon one of the things, which is it's like not organized. Yeah. it's like yeah. there's literally boxes that are like have a sharpie, you know, has written on the side oh, and it geez. says like old Star Trek toys or oh, something, God. and it's just parts and stuff and you're oh, like oh sure. my god you gotta make guys. something out of it and decide you price it yourself yeah. and just bring up money and they decide yes or no and- uh, it's just yeah but you know put put some effort into it because that's what i and i've i've also cited a couple times meltdown in la is just the the perfect comic book toy you know geek culture store like it mm-hmm. is so well put together that it's almost it's almost too uh sanitized for my oh, taste sure. you know i almost yeah. want some dirt and grime and stuff but but it's but it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. You can't argue with it. I like my comic um, store dirty. Yeah, yeah. I like, like uh, uh, Comics coffee. Unlimited in Huntington Beach was my local. I think I've given them props before, and and they uh, 
I just, you know, well organized. You knew where the new releases were. Mm-hmm. You knew where the toys were. It was, it was just well done. I'm looking so. at Meltdown now on Google Images. It does look pretty badass. Yeah, I, I mean, that's I why they do mean. the, uh, what is it, Nerd Melt or whatever they do, like, oh, you know, the yeah. comedy shows and stuff there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a cool space. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, maybe I've only been in it once. Hmm. Left an impact, though. Yeah. Left a mark. I know how it, that goes. It wasn't local enough. For me, you know, it was like to get to easily. Oh, sure, <laughs> it's, sure. It's on like Hollywood Boulevard or something. You got to park. It's like a pain in the ass. So, gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So we're let's let's hit the quick mentions we yeah, had because it's yeah. been it's been a while since it, we caught it up. It has. It's been too long, unfortunately. But there's been. Uh, What's nice is there's been enough cool stuff that has kind of come out. We're kind of in this weird sort of lull period now before just everything starts to pop again. Yeah. Um, One of those things is the Netflix Jessica Jones show, which have you seen the trailer? No, I haven't seen anything, but I don't even know who this character is. I I didn't either. So ignorant about this. I didn't either. I didn't read it. Yeah. My Twitter feed is full of it. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't even know who this is. I'm, I'm intrigued for three reasons. One, I'm always a fan of, of strong female protagonists in any story. So that, Check that off right away. Two, the did you watch Breaking Bad back when it was on? No. I've oh. tried several times to so, get into it and have not. <laughs> so those of you out there who have seen Breaking Bad, it, it is Jesse's girlfriend. Um, oh, what's her? Oh, no, I just can't think of her name now. I watched What's Her Face Die. What's oh, what's her? Oh, God. Walt, <laughs> Walt says it. Um, anyway, there's the, it's the black-haired girl in Breaking Bad. Her name's going to come to me. If, you, if you're listening now and you're yelling at me like – Focus your attention on me, and I will. I will hear the name. Um, Is it Jane? Jane. Thank you. God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go- so, Google to the rescue. Thank you. So, like, so the actress who plays Jane, who's been in some other stuff too, she plays Jessica Jones, and she's an incredible actress. And I was, and this seems to be like the right marriage of you know, parts. But then, third and most importantly, David Tennant is in it. Oh. Doctor Who's own David Tennant playing the bad guy um, of uh, Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man, who, strangely enough, I have been. Intri- more intrigued by as a villain, and I don't, I haven't read many of the comics, but he popped up on one of those Avengers cartoon series, right? You know, on Netflix, like Avengers What Assemble or whatever one of those. He was just a, a villain of the week that popped up. It was actually voiced by Brent Spiner from Star Trek, of all people. Um, but I was so intrigued by just this as a character. I'm like, imagine if if Professor X from X Men, with just the power not to you know move planes with his mind, but just the power to influence people. Do you know you you always see him like in the movies freezing people and having you know using his Jedi mind trick on people like sure what if that was used for evil and that that a villain could basically make you it, it, do whatever you know make you do anything against your will for his own benefit for his own greed or whatever his his motivations might be so pair that with David Tennant as a character and it's oh god and so this trailer is everything as I was I was reading more about it and looking into it I was just like oh please let this trailer be good and then this that popped and I'm like oh my god this looks great. To the point where I was, you know, I, I enjoyed Daredevil. I wasn't, I, I mean, I, it, the quality was amazing, but it's not, you know, it was it was more just like a Marvel Batman movie, right. you know, which was well done. Don't get me wrong. But this is, this, I, I am literally looking very forward to this. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I, the opening night, if you will, I'll be there binging this thing. Oh, so, the, so remind me, did, did Daredevil... No, was that released in a normal Netflix way? Like the entire se- yep. season came yep. out at once. Okay. So yep. they're going to do the same thing for Jessica Jones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's, um, that's always, I mean, that's a, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I've, um, I've wondered how people are going to experiment with the Hulu model. Yeah. You know what I mean, Hulu, yeah. even when they're doing their own shows now is still doing weekly releases and yeah. not allowing you to binge, which is frustrating, but 
and I guess it gives them a little time to pivot yeah. if they need well, to or like something. Shows like the Mindy Project are still being made as we go, like a traditional show right, would be. Exactly. So there's, I think there that model still has to remain for that. But like shows like this, where Netflix, you know, is is sort of the pioneer, and every, you know, we'll film it all, we'll make it all, and then we'll release it yeah. in one shot. You know, I think I don't think they're gonna. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll toy with it at some point, but that's sort of their bread and butter now. It's like, you know, here it all is. If you want, if you want to read this novel in one day, go ahead. If you want to sparse it yeah, out, exactly. then go ahead too. You know, it's, it's whatever well, you want. Do you know anything about the show, about Jessica Jones, the character? <laughs> yeah. Or so, I mean, so I, <laughs> I had never read the comics and, you know, when they talked you know, the comic is AKA Jessica Jones, right. they dropped the AKA. From what I understand, she is a super powered person who's really sort of reluctant to be a superhero, you know, so she's just a normal, you know, normal chick with powers that. Uh, has like a, a crime solving agency or like a detective agency that she runs. Um, and she just helps, she kind of helps people, but she sort of, you know, she only focuses in and around hell's kitchen, which is, you know, the daredevil neighborhood. So she's sort of part of that little sliver of New York and she's just trying to do what she can. But all the meanwhile, the way they, the trailer makes this sound, Zebed- the purple man, Zebediah Kilgrave has some really deep connection to her childhood. So he's coming for her. And, and just some of the shots in the trailer blow me away. Like, Walking into like I think it's like a, the police you know station and everybody's frozen and everybody's like pointing like a gun at themselves or like you know because he's manipulating them all to do that you know it's these frightening sort of like what if that someone had that power what's the worst possible thing you can think of <laughs> and there's even and, and where I have I've gotten into conversations with people on this I'm like isn't the purple man great they're like well yeah but and they they explain to me that in the comics there is this really disturbing sort of sexual molestation thing that goes on between he and Jessica Jones. And they're probably going to do something like that in the Ugh. series. So it's okay. going to be interesting how they handle that because yeah. think, I mean, think about some, it makes sense. Somebody with that power, with those dark motivations. I mean, it's only a matter of time before he takes it to that conclusion. So, but with those two actors, it could be horrifying, but like you want to clap because it was just so brilliantly yeah. portrayed, you know, handled, you know? So, so We'll Do you see. know if they're going to like weave it into the Daredevil universe? I mean, oh, yeah. Is that the idea? Is okay. So, so I don't know if you know this. Um, Daredevil, this um, Luke Cage, who's right. being introduced through this series originally. And they were going to do Iron Fist, but now it's, there's talk that that might just be a, a mini movie on Netflix and not a series. But they're all going to do a, a team up uh, Defenders uh, event when this is all right. sort of set up. Okay. So, and then at some point, I'm guessing. Once all that's done, Infinity Wars 2 will hope come out, and all those people will be in that in some capacity. And they'll just be like some gigantic Marvel everything. And That would be you know. interesting. So is Luke, is Luke Cage coming out on Netflix? Is that also? That's coming, I think, in early next year. But he's, his character is being debuted through this Jessica Jones series. But they're shooting a movie of that, correct? I don't think so. Or no, it's just TV show? Just okay. show. Or a yeah, Netflix yeah. show. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, Rosaria Dawson's in it, I believe. She's in all these. She's, oh. she's like a thread between all. And maybe she's not as... As in Jessica Jones, as she was in Daredevil, but she's kind of the what of the night nurse character, whatever that is. She's sort of the thread. Okay, so I, yeah. de- I mean, you know, we've talked before. I definitely like the the interweaved universe that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll jump into something that I had in our in our quick notes, which was which is not interweaved yet, which is Supergirl, the TV oh, yeah. show, which um, I've been really interested in. I mean, I, I love that long preview they did earlier in the summer. Um, so I've watched the first two episodes at this point, and it's definitely. It's it kind of walks in a line that I see in in several other uh, superhero shows where I'm like, well, it's not totally for adults, yeah. but it's not the kind of thing I can show to a little kid, you know? Mm, really? <laughs> I mean, there've been a couple, you know, the a couple of really scary villains where I'm thinking of like, you know, a, my my four and a half year old niece oh, or that, something. That, I'm yeah. like, I'm okay. like, well, she's, you know, I can't. That's the scary axe in this that this guy can kill Supergirl with. I can't, you know, that's that's too 
too much uh, <laughs> terror right there. But um, it's uh, it's also um, I don't know. It's, I mean, on one hand, it's a good take on mm-hmm. the on the character and putting her in a modern situation. She works for a media company mm-hmm. um, from a woman who used to work for the Daily Planet, who split off and become this mogul on her own. Oh, that's the Calista Flockhart character. Yes. Oh, okay. And she um, uh, is. Uh, uh, I, I mean, the unfortunate. This is very weird too. I also this year got, got addicted to a show called Younger. <laughs> I can't believe I'm confessing, which is on uh, TV Land. Okay. Um. Uh. And of course, Younger. And of course, I would forget the the character of that just as <laughs> forgotten the other actress's name. Um. But uh, it's it's a show about a, a woman who has um. Uh, she's quit her career to have a child and raise her child. And then she ends up getting a divorce just as a child is 18 and going away to college and, and a year abroad and stuff. And she's trying to get a job and she can't get a job. So she pretends to be 25 years old. Oh, she's okay. 40 and she pretends oh. to be 25 years old. So, so in younger, wow. she basically has a, um, uh, Sutton Foster. That's who it is. Oh, she yeah. Was, she yeah. was Brett's girlfriend on, um, the, in the first season oh, uh, it is Flight her. of the Concords yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where they hold the signs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Sutton uh, is 40 and pretending to be 25, her character. and uh, and is she 40 in real life? Yeah, I think yeah, so. She looks really good. Yeah, she looks great. And Damn. she and she definitely, it's definitely that thing of where you're like, I can get this. Like she's yeah. she's one of those people that can kind of pull it off. It's not a creepy um, cougar being like, hi, everybody. Right. And you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, nope. it's not Samantha from Sex and the City or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. so she, um, but it's, you know, she goes to work at a media company. It's kind of, there's kind of a devil wears Prada sort of thing where her boss is kind of a terror and, you know, oh, and, and it's like, well, is her boss, Hillary Duff. No, no, no. Hillary, Hillary Duff, Duff is like her, her pal. Is that's like, it? you oh, know, okay. like us 25 year olds got to stick together. Oh, sure. Um, anyway, but it's about a woman working in a media company for a nightmare boss who has uh, a secret identity as a 40 year old. Uh, and Supergirl is about a woman working for a nightmare boss at a media company who has a secret identity. Yeah, I see. <laughs> so, so it's really hard for me not to see these as like, you know, the same sort of sure. template show. Um, and I think that's done because, you know, that's just sort of like the mainstream thing of yeah, like, well, we yeah. can't, we can't get too out of bounds with this. Let's, let's hit some, you know, all these, the uh, topics that you know millennials like will relate to. I don't even know if they're yeah, targeting yeah, yeah. millennials, but it's like you know she's the character is supposed to be a millennial. Let's let's hit that. You know, me, media companies are hip. They're going to use yeah, social yeah. social media there, and there's going to be all this hashtagging stuff. And yeah. so they've put Supergirl in that universe, and and it's it's cool. There's they're definitely trying to they established in the second episode more of a um, uh, I can't remember if it's Supergirl or. James Olsen, who tells her something about, you know, like Superman's always about working on his own and being a loner, but you know, our family's really, it must be Supergirl. And she's like, our family's really about being a team. You know, he didn't know this because he left the planet as a baby. So now James um, Olsen, that is Jimmy Olsen. Yes. Okay. Who has been sent to, uh, uh, the national city or whatever city she's in oh, okay. by like he was looking for a move and his good buddy Clark Kent was like, why don't you go work for this place? Uh, sure. Because my cousin's got a job there. Do they ever and show either Superman or Clark Kent in, like as a character, or even like a shadow or like he's a hand coming, or something? Apparently. Oh, okay. So in the origin story, they showed sort of you know like behind the shoulder, kind of him landing and bringing her to the uh, foster family oh, that she would live okay. with, whose father was played by Dean Cain. Oh, really? <laughs> in a great little nod to things, and there have been a couple of great cameos like that. Purd Happily is in it as a news reporter, like really? from Parks and Rec. 
is basically, I mean, he's not purred happily, yeah, the yeah, character, yeah, but, but, but that, that, that actor is <laughs> in it playing a reporter, and you hear that voice, and you're like, oh my god, it's purred now, in, in Now a story, <laughs> yeah. which is news that I'm going to tell you now. It, no, well, you know why exactly. that is, though, by the way? It's the same creative team behind Arrow and Flash. Okay. And they love to do that in Flash. Like, they have gone to great extents in Flash. Gotcha. Like, the, you remember that original kind of crappy ni- early 90s Flash live action TV show? Yeah. So, that dude is the Flash's father. Oh, okay. And they brought Mark Hamill literally because he played the trickster. Uh-huh. And they, were, they brought him back as like the trickster the, who mentors the new trickster. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mark Hamill played the trickster yeah. in the 90s crappy yeah. Flash. Yeah. And he's played the Joker on Batman the Animated Series for 20 years. The reason he got the Joker job was because that vo- he the voice he does for the Joker is very similar to his trickster <sighs> voice. That was kind of the proto Joker. So when so here's a here's a yeah, well, you probably know this, but like the original Batman the Animated Series Joker was supposed to be voiced by I don't know. Tim Curry. Really? He was and they had recorded a couple episodes with him and it was too it was too much. It was too <laughs> it, it was it was imagine what Tim Curry would do and that's what it would be. It was it was I'm it picturing was, the Congo accent taken to like some crazy extreme. <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe somebody else is seeing it. <laughs> I, I just oh watched my it. God. For the first time? No, no, no. I saw it when it came in theaters. Yes. It just appeared on Netflix, so There's I There's a it. oh that well gone. To, we'll have to do a podcast about Congo another day. Because I <laughs> back in the day, so back when we had like my family flirted with owning satellite TV for like a year, and what was great is we could f- record all the movies that came on it. But it was the summer of '95, which had things like you know the Batman and Robin with Val Kilmer and these other oh. movies. But Congo was one of those. So we recorded that, and then they stopped it because they didn't want to keep paying for it. So I had this like eight to nine movies we recorded that were at our <laughs> ranch that. That was all, all the TV we had, so right. I just watched Congo again and again and right, again. Right, right, right. This is like how many times I saw Top Gun and yeah. Good Morning Vietnam. Exactly. Because <laughs> those were the those are two video movies, cassettes though. we had. Those are at least good. Like, Congo is not a good movie. Anyway, <laughs> That's true. Um, no, so Tim Curry, uh, Tim Curry was originally that, so they brought in Mark Hamill, but Mark Hamill's audition, you can listen, he explains all this in the very first Fat Man on Batman podcast with Kevin Smith. Interesting. It's like a three-part episode, so get ready. But, like, he talks about how... how how just yeah that and that and the trickster kind of voice so when you go back and watch those flash episodes you're like god he sounds like the joker it was you know but that was right. the, the basis so what was really great it, are you ever gonna watch the flash probably you, not okay so spo- it's kind of cool spoilers for this particular little bit if, if you were out there last season of the flash and i've only watched a handful of episodes but i've loved what i've seen there was they introduced the new trickster and mark hamill like play, and they don't they don't say, you know, they don't, it's not like that the, the canon of the original show is the canon now, that they're not right, saying that, but right. they keep pulling things from it. So Mark Camel has been in prison this whole time trying to set up this new, this new kid to be the, the new trickster. And, you know, they, they even have like his original costume and everything like hanging like in the police, like archives and everything. Right. But what's really amazing is that he breaks out and he's hanging with the kid. He's like, he's like, and he's kind of got his crazy hair, but he's still a little bit more grounded, but he's looking at him. And he's like, you know, and they're talking and the guy's like, I always knew that I was special. He's like, it's more than that. I am your father. And I was like, oh, oh my man. God. But it's the way he does it, <laughs> the way he delivers it, it's so tongue in cheek and so right. like, self-aware that you're just like, oh, man. Good. Well, I mean, they could have. They, so the in jokes with that production crew of those three shows, they don't I don't know if they do Gotham or not, but they do at least those right. three is really tight. And I'm even thinking at some point those the Supergirl is going to merge into because I think well, and that's why I brought it up. I wonder if they're going to become that you know interlaced universe because yeah. 
And, and, and by the way, Donald Glover also appeared in an episode really? of Supergirl. As Spider-Man? That would be amazing. <laughs> as no, a spider-like he, as, man? As the mathematician from The Martian. <laughs> no. Oh, that'd be better. He's just like a security guard that gets killed. Oh, <laughs> um, poor spo- kid can't catch Spoiler alert in reverse. Um, but no, that's why I wondered because uh, Supergirl, and this is a dumb thing to notice, but it airs the same time that Gotham does. Ah. So they're absolutely not yeah. tying it okay. into Gotham. You no, know what I mean? It seems nothing's to me, tied into plus, Gotham. Oh my God, Gotham doesn't make any freaking sense to me. Have Gotham- I told you my thing about the, I don't think we talked about this last time because I, I think I delivered this rant to someone else, which is, <laughs> Uh, Patton Oswald has this rant about um, if he had a time machine, uh, he wouldn't stop Hitler. He would go back and stop George Lucas from making the prequels. Oh, I haven't heard this. <laughs> and yeah. he talks about, you know, if he had met, he's, he's kind of pondered this and he's thought if I'd met George Lucas in 1995 or seven or whenever it was. And he said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm finally making the prequels. And he's like, oh my God. And he's like, what's going to happen? He, you, do you like Darth Vader? Oh, I love Darth, Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Darth yeah. Vader's going to be in this? Yeah. When this one, you get to see him as a little kid. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to see that at all. Yeah, <laughs> I have no yeah, interest yeah. in seeing him as a little kid. Yeah. And that's what I think of Gotham is like, I don't care about yeah. Batman as a child. Yeah. Man. It's just so dumb. And especially having the whole universe older than he is is so goofy to me. It's, and that, So they can't tie it into Supergirl because no, no. she's 25 or whatever in this it's, show, it's a know? different well, and it's a different crew. Like, so they've already tied. I mean, Flash and Green Arrow have cross o- crossed over. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm guessing it's only a matter of time for because again, it's the same. And CBS and the CW are all part of the same gotcha. Viacom family. Too, I'm pretty sure. So I think it's all. I think it will all be jive at some point. But they're. I mean, they're doing so well. And I've seen some of the green. I've seen as many Green Arrow episodes, and it's you know they've introduced their own Raz Al Ghul and all these things. And so oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they've kind of been. They've kind of been taking a lot of the stuff that would be Batman mythos and putting it in Green Arrow. Okay. Instead, which is cool. So yeah, I mean, there. Are, I guess that's the thing is that there's a ton of maybe like second tier characters yeah. that probably deserve the Netflix CW treatment, which yeah. is like. Like, you know, I would love to see Green Lantern as a TV show. I well, don't ever want to see Green Lantern as a movie again. Do you know what? If this if this works out, if Supergirl stays solid, I think that will probably be the next one they do. That would make sense. I mean, sure. one, I mean, because that that crew understands the levity that has to go into those situations and their casting is exactly. spot on. Yeah. But if they're going to do Green Lantern, like, let's not do Hal Jordan. Let's just make make that like a known thing. Like we already know he exists. Yeah. So let's see John Stewart. Yeah. Let's see Guy Gardner. Let's see those, those lanterns and just have different one, you know, instead of going through, cause I mean, that was one of the failures of the Ryan Reynolds movies that no, you had 15 years, 15 years of showing Warner brothers animated series around the justice league. Right. Around, and every single time it was John Stewart every time. So you have a whole generation of kids who have no effing idea who yeah, Hal Jordan is. Yeah, exactly. So when they see, they go to green Latin, like who's this white guy? Like that's, you know, it's like instead of casting Idris Elba and just calling it a day. They right. Went, oh know, my God. <laughs> which I mean, you, just to say that out loud is like, you feel like some, some cosmic fracture has happened where there's a reality where that did occur and we're not living in it. You know? And so we're just like, Oh, please come back. I mean, they're trying to write the wrong. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is going out of his way to be like, okay, we're, I'm going to fix this as best I can. Deadpool, right? Remember that? Like, not even, not even, and, and, and a second go at Deadpool, you right. know, where it's like, so not only am I going to make you forget that I was in that terrible Green Lantern movie, I'm going to make you forget that that X Men Wolverine thing never even happened. And here's this. And, you know, yeah, it'll be amazing. Well, I, on on to movies, yes. we should go. Thank you. Is, uh, is the one big one that's on our list, which is when we made these notes, <clears throat> yeah. the second. Star Wars trailer had come out. And in fact, like 
a couple weeks ago, I, or one of us at least, made, I'm, I mean, I'd been saying this to anyone who would listen, which was, God, I'm ready for a, another Star Wars trailer. Yeah, yeah. And they delivered it. We saw that before we could even record a podcast. The Japanese one came yeah. out yesterday. Yeah. I'm assuming you've seen that. I have that. seen it. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, your, what it's, are your takes? <laughs> so it's, it's weird to me because they said that that last, the, the, you know, the second trailer was like, this is the last trailer now. And this is the last new footage. And then sure enough, they put this Japanese one out that has all new footage. That's even oh like my God, better so than much. the, I even like the footage from that one better than the other one. Cause it gives you I all agree. kind of cool angles and different droid stuff. And I was just like, so I, I'm, I'm, why i mean i get that there's japanese you know sort of uh subtitled you know writing over it but why not just show us that one in the u.s for real why not why mask do they think that we're not going to see it somehow or like you know i know you brought up during our martian podcast about um you know having the the chinese backers for films and stuff like when films take chinese money and they have to sort of shoot alternate scenes and stuff like that for them yeah um I did specifically dig up the Iron Man three footage. It's on YouTube. The is sort it of really? like three minutes they've cut? Ooh, wow. um, is it? Does is it? I mean, does it have a different spin in any way? Or are there like is there is like an Asian character who gets killed off? Completely nonsensical. Uh, okay. <laughs> and and I read. I went back to like IO nine or whatever and read yeah. about that. And they just you know it's like literally they just tacked on the scene that makes no sense where Tony goes to China to meet this one doctor who can operate on him and take the metal out of his oh, heart or whatever. Okay. And they just jammed it into the middle of the film. Mm. So granted, when you watch it on YouTube, you don't see the context. You just okay. see these, you know, Chinese doctors working on it. It's more like a cool Easter egg. If you know the movie, so right? That, that works. Okay. It's very, it's, I can't even imagine it in continuity. You know, what's interesting though, is that I wonder if that's how, who was the Asian doctor in age of Ultron? Who created the the generate the the uh, biosphere thing that generated? Oh my gosh! Vision. You may have just hit on something. I have no idea. Is she part of that? Was she there? Was that? I mean, maybe that's part of the same. Because she just showed up out of nowhere in Ultron. And you're like, well, where does she come from? And like, what was the context of her befriending Tony? And that would make sense if you know that was somehow connected to that <laughs> random scene. I just we shouldn't even get off on this but i just googled that the age of ultron and the very first headline is chinese fans left close to tears by age of ultron translation oh geez <laughs> so and we'll just skip that but back to star wars yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I were they targeting did they think well japanese audiences won't respond to the this american trailer that we've released or so vice versa re- do they think well right. the u.s fans aren't gonna like this so let's but uh, even, it's all fantastic. That's, all that's moot because it's like it's like why go out of your way to make a special version when we're all going to see it anyway. I mean, Disney knows that this I, is going to happen. I know, and especially when it's a property that big, it's you almost like I, at least me. I just don't even believe that they're secretly doing. Like I don't yeah. even believe that it's like oh we'll do this and it will go viral. You yeah, know, yeah, nudge yeah, nudge. Yeah, yeah. I, it just seems like no, they just they really did make a different trailer. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, though, I have I will say it again for the record of all the movies. Um, to come out in the last like ten years of you know hype driven event movies, they have been, I don't know what the hell they're doing to. But we haven't seen anything leaked. There've been no. I mean, there's maybe that one leaked set photo of of Mark Hamill. That's yeah. you have no idea what the context is or anything. That's it. Yeah. Like I haven't seen anything else. Like all the footage has been by on purpose. There hasn't been any like you know script that's been leaked or and like, not. How have they kept the lid on this thing that tight? Like it's crazy. Yeah, I um I, I think you and I talked before. Maybe it wasn't even on a podcast about how I'd seen Kevin Smith at, at Comic Con not this summer but the summer before, so twenty fourteen. Okay. And he talked about a set visit to Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and how we got this call from J.J. Abrams who said. 
you've got to stop talking about this. And he's like, JD, I'm not telling anything that's in the NDA. And he goes, no, everybody is calling me wanting a set visit. You have oh, to yeah, shut yeah. up about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let everyone come visit yeah, the set. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they've obviously, like, they just locked this down. He's hinted that he's seen it, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. He And he, he wasn't even supposed to say that because, like, he was on the Fat Man with Batman. Or, no, he was on a Hollywood Babylon and he's talking about it in a way, and uh, Ralph's just like, "Have you have you seen it?" And Kim's like, "I I can't comment on that anyway." And I was just like, "Well, yeah, I wonder if that's and if, if he has seen it. He's being he's doing a damn good job of not just you know of holding his tongue as it, as it is, you know." Yeah. Are you excited? I mean, does this? Are you? Were you ever a hardcore Star Wars fan, or were you always just like, "I love"? It? I mean, where are you on that spectrum of like diehard and like casual? I. You know? Um, this is another thing we may have um brought up uh before so i apologize if i'm repeating myself i i was absolute i mean as a kid it was like that was the whole th- i mean here's my vhs trilogy of uh, you know star yeah. wars pre wow. you know pre messing with it yeah, uh, yeah, yeah lucas stuff yeah and uh so i was a huge huge fan i mean you know just it, it was everything when i was a kid and um I, you know i i read this article recently where this this person was defending the prequels and I, uh, I I don't remember if I responded to the author or just said this to my friends that, you know, it wasn't really the prequels that lost me. It wasn't yeah. that I hated the prequels. I honestly didn't see them after the Jar Jar one. Oh, wow. What lost me were the re-releases in the uh, theater of the, like, the remastered ones or whatever. Really? Because I I remember seeing that first one. Like, I, I remember waiting this line at Fountain Square yeah. to see Star Wars, which had now been renamed A New Hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get it. It was in the subtitle from the get go, but whatever. Yeah. We never called it that when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you know, I remember waiting in line, seeing that and going, what the fuck did he just do? Was like, it really I that- hated so much stuff. And then Empire I thought was even worse than that because mm-hmm. they didn't add any story details, as I recalled, in Empire. There was just all this gibberish in the margins of the screens. Like, they're just constantly robots moving around yeah, and crap. And I was like, yeah. I hate this. Yeah. Um, I have. Now I will totally recant that. And you and I plan to do like a podcast yes. on Star Wars yeah. leading uh, up to the I'll, film. I'll resist and any question. Yeah, I'll this. go, I'll go off on that then because I, I, it's, they've, they've since then the remastered ones have like won me over. I still mm. have not seen two and three. Okay. Of the three's the best of the prequels. One. Yeah. So I look forward to seeing those whenever I'm around. Someone Sorry. Who owns three's the, the best one of the prequels. Let me just clarify, right, right, right. clarify <laughs> that just in case you're like, what and, the hell did and he Empire just say? is the best one of all. And yeah, 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 yeah. so, um, yeah, so, but I have gotten progressively more excited about star Wars. And, you know, when we noted that second trailer, I mean, I, I you know, I literally had chills watching that. And yeah. then this Japanese one caught me by total surprise. I was, I was so blown away with that. Just the action pieces in it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Everything looks to me like, JJ can do no wrong with this, you know. Uh, so I, I, I mean, story wise, maybe it gets a little out in the weeds or something. But yeah. I mean, come on, as long as it's not two politicians arguing over <laughs> trade deals or whatever for <laughs> a half an hour. I have some I'll predictions though. Uh, okay, and I, I, I'm probably. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who've long since discovered this too. But there are some posters. I'm trying to find the one right now. I think it was like the newest poster that has Ray, the the female. Okay, the, what I forget the actress's name. Um, but she's always holding like a staff as uh-huh. her weapon every time. Right. And this particular poster and it's like, she's, uh, I gotta find it. She's in the middle and it's like, it's got on one side, it's got Kylo Ren and like the, you know, the, whatever the, the empire is called now. And on the left side, it's got Finn with his blue lightsaber and some other stuff, but she's right in the middle. And then 
right behind her as that extends, like the, the lightsaber of Kylo Ren extends right beside hers. So I have two theories. One is that they are brother and sister. She is Kylo Ren's sister. But more importantly, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion to a lot of people. More importantly, I think she's going to turn to the dark side in movie two. And that staff is going to become a Darth Maul style lightsaber. Because if you look at the way it it looks like the hilt of the Darth Maul, it's just a little shorter. It's got kind of the same sort of... And I'm just like, imagine... And then the third movie is about trying to redeem her and she does turn back without dying. You know, hopefully. Um I just I don't know I'm I'm looking at it just going this I, it it's about time we have I mean again female protagonist yay but it's it's about time we had a female protagonist female lead turn bad and then turn good again like there's yeah. that's that has not been mined nearly enough yet and I just feel like that's kind of I might be wrong maybe that's a movie that I'll make myself someday if they don't do it you know in terms of another another story but just I look at that going I think there's I think there's some subtext in there that you know eagle eye people might are supposed to are supposed to think yeah about, yeah you know so well know. that's yeah interesting symbolism yeah at least so yeah. that okay cool um should we jump into it and maybe i want to say one more quick mention oh you way. got one more quick mention after so if you haven't listened to our, our uh review of the martian oh, right we're right sorry um please do so i think it was the last podcast we did but yes, we it's go episode and, six if you've watched the Mar- and i think the martian might even still be the number one movie it, it's been funny to watch all these other movies come out and try and fail to dethrone the martian i know and it just kind of stays number one, stays number one. And it's an IMAX 3D now. Is it really? Yeah, I'm really excited to go see that. It wasn't before? No, because that opening weekend, I really wanted to see it in IMAX. And there was something so stupid that was holding that. <laughs> like, I know sometimes it takes longer to, to, to when they're converting to IMAX and distributing, oh, you sure. know? Yeah, so yeah, I guess yeah. this this probably wasn't shot in IMAX, obviously. So they were, you know, there's some conversion to factor yeah. in. But it is now in IMAX. God knows when I'll get this podcast out, but you know. Well, one thing, one thing I did want to mention that I didn't, I didn't think about during that particular uh, episode that we did is, and I, and I caught myself, and the reason it came up is because as I was listening back through that, I'm like, did I call him Mark Watney or did I call him Mark Whitaker? Because Mark Whitaker is the name that of uh, the character that Matt Damon also plays in the movie The Informant, right? And so. I really want to do. I, I haven't seen anybody do it yet, and it may, it's probably a little late now. But it would be really funny at some point to find the time to put a little mashup meme together of the informant and the Martian into the same kind of thing. There's just there's so many weird little similarities, and there, I think there's a lot of. If, I'm a huge fan of the informant. I love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, Soderbergh. Uh, I mean, it's and, and it's got all these comedians. Matt Damon is so weird in it. It's, it's so weird, and just good. the way it's put together. It's just it kind of came out around the same time as Burn After Reading. It's just kind of. I, I was just about to say it is such, fits in that family yeah. of like. Oh, God. And feels so, like a Coen Brothers film. Yes, like, yes. So but with Soderbergh's sort of style and shooting style and everything. So, I, but I want to do. I, I, and there's so many little touch points in there that if I ever get a, a you know digital copy of The Martian, I can kind of toggle back and forth and and almost have Mark Mark Whitaker talking to Mark Watney in terms of like coaching him through all this. You know, <laughs> I, I think there'd be a lot of you know that he's he's on the ground in yeah, in yeah, like yeah, the yeah, ground yeah. control crew. Yeah, I, I think so. So if I have time over Christmas and I can get a, a copy of the, a digital copy of The Martian, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to put something together. So anyway, awesome. I would love to see that. All right, so our the main thing that we wanted to talk about today uh, was suggested by you, and I'm just going to let you take it away and describe it. Well, it ha- it just so happens that I have been thinking a quite not just recently, but for quite a while about the future of I'll just say the future story in kind of a broad term. And story can take any number of mediums. It can be obviously film. It can be video on TV. It can be comics. It can be books. But when you start to think about books and the written story in general, that's where I think the most, I, I know, I, I think there's a lot of, we haven't hit 
the level of innovation on books yet, even yet that we have on like TV or movies or right. short films. And I just keep thinking like, why, why is that? You know, what, what is it about the medium of the book that's so resistant to, you know, a plethora of ideas or, you know, all this kind of, in, you know, uh, innovation. And there was a Brett Easton Ellis podcast I was listening to. And he, you know, if you happen to listen to that podcast, he, he, uh, a lot of times laments the death of the novel and gets all esoteric about it. And, and, but he makes a lot of good points and some of the guests he has on talk about, you know, they, they use it as a broader jumping off point to talk about the death of physical media and what that means to the culture and blah, 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 blah. But it, that sort of fueled my need to talk about this with you because I know you, um, I have obviously are a per, very prolific writer and have published, you know, online, offline and have different things going on. So I want to kind of just walk us through a conversation and get your insight on a lot of these things. And hopefully if you're listening, you, you also have thought of these things, or if not, maybe it'll push you to think about consuming this stuff in a different way or, or, you know, wanting that. Um, but let's, I guess I'll just kind of in no uncertain order. Oh, thank you. Um, I will, I'll just ask the, this this particular question: Is the traditional novel dead? To in your in your opinion? Oh man, that is such a loaded question. I, I know, or um, deep question. I don't know how to answer that quickly. The well, let's. I mean, before you even say anything, like, I mean, by by dead. I mean, obviously, they will still. When something's declared dead, it still usually sells. But like, <laughs> is the traditional novel important? To consumers under, I'll just say forty. I'll just put it. You know. Well, you know, on one hand, um, uh, so I follow a lot of authors on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and the <laughs> I don't know if it's the audience I'm following or if it is an audience in general, but I'll tell you the YA, the young adult novel, is absolutely not dead, yeah. and like more important than it's ever been, yeah. Which is you know shocking to me, I now, guess. But do you think, I mean, to you, is the young adult novel in, in most iterations no different? I mean, because, sorry, I'll, to me, the young adult novel, when you look at, when you walk into a bookstore, I mean, sans like things like The Hunger Games or some of these things, you look at the young adult novels in terms of what the covers are, what the stories are, it looks like it is just the new, the, this decade's iteration of the Harlequin romance novel, that they're just churned out. And they're all derivative and they're all repetitive. And I know Ooh. there's some diamonds in the rough, but it seems like that's sort of where that, that is. And so they're so easy to digest. I think that's more just, it, that might be why they're. I, I, I think I see what you're saying. I, um, I would, I would probably, and I, I don't know because I'm not a reader of a lot of them. Yeah. So I can't really vigorously defend them. I would think that I know what you're saying, but, but maybe, uh, that description is a little harsh. But, but I think what you're saying is they are kind of pulpy in that way of like, you know, and I think there's a, um, there's sort of a split too, where we think of, uh, YA novels as like the hunger games or twilight or something, but below that there is like a, definitely like a, a uh, below that, I don't mean in ranking or something. I just mean sort of hidden from pop culture view is sort of, there's a substrata of really smart YA novels that, um, like, are, do you, do you, I mean the book wool? Would you consider that? I don't even know that. Oh, see, I haven't read it. I just know that that, that uh, there's there's like a whole series and fervor around that. Well, it's what's well, the- and I think those series probably get. That's probably where it turns really pulpy. You know, where they've got something they're just cranking out or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it, you even thinking that, even just talking about this moment here, is like I don't know that I could 
mention, you know, yeah. current novels for adults, yeah, you know, yeah. and I could, I could name probably five YA novels right now, just that I've, you know, that have, have been bounced around my, you know, my consciousness. Well, let's, let's start with that because I think that that sort of does draw a line in the sand of, you know, a lot of the, the YA stuff is serialized. It's yeah. based on an ever progressing story, much like what Netflix is doing, much like what comics has always done. It's just a little longer form. Right. But to your point there, I mean, walk into a Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore, like what are the, what are the adult novels that are even out? I mean, I'm going to go to Amazon right now and see well, what the best sellers are. Cause it's, if you know, if I go off what I want, when I walk into a Barnes and Noble and see those immediate like bestseller things, there is a lot of fiction there. Yeah. I mean, it's all yeah. fiction on like how to improve your life. Yeah. That's yeah, sold yeah. as nonfiction, but <laughs> It's all bullshit. True. True enough. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what happens as adults progress to this like, no, I need my bullshit to be, you know, to pretend to tell me how yeah, to yeah. how to cook like the Paleolithic people did or something. I mean, Are maybe that's how we, consu- we consume like <laughs> our, our fiction now. Um, I it's a weird thing, too, because and I mean, this is specifically why you bring it up, I think is because you and I both write fiction. Yeah. And so it's, it's a very weird thing to think as you ask these questions to me, I don't know what the last novel I read was, Mm -hmm. but I'm writing one. Yeah. You know, if that's sort of a weird, like, you know, that kind of makes me feel uneasy of like, who the hell is going to read anything I write? You know, let's, let's, so, so the last one I read was ready player one. Yeah. um, Back this summer and, and blazed through it. But I think about my favorite books, like just regardless of genre or, or you know what it is, I, you know my top ten favorite books. Top, you know the top three or four are going to be probably you know fiction books like Doctor Sleep, like Neverwhere, um, and Doctor Sleep is only two years old, two ish years old, and so that was you know um, I found that simply because it came out on it was on Amazon's recommendations list. I'm like, oh, Stephen King Doctor Sleep sequel to The Shining, well, that's cool came to find that it was way more than just cool. It was, you know, completely rocked my world. Um, so when I'm writing, I'm thinking about though, I'm, I'm thinking about like, I want to create an experience like this where the reader is like, Oh my God. And they just have to binge it as it, as it is, you know, over a weekend or something. But then I'm like, is that, is that overestimating the attention span interest, etc., of a reader? You know, Stephen King has had, what, 30, 40 years to build up an audience that will always, there will always be somebody who want to read a long-form Stephen King. You know, a good chunk of people who want to read a long-form Stephen King. It's fine. But with somebody new or something new, and I, t- I also mention this because I have friends who are authors who have, you know, gone to great lengths to, to write a novel or, or a book or something and have a really hard time generating an audience. Yeah. And I'm like, is that because you're, at, you're assuming too much? Even, even if your audience is full of friends and family, are you assuming too much from them with this format called the novel? You know, is, that, is there a disconnect there where that isn't the ideal format for that story anymore? Well, and maybe you're, maybe you're, you're hitting on something right there, which is um, when you ask about the future of the book or you know, how you introduced this, there are things that we can... Um, uh, we can remix the form of a movie yeah. and still call it a movie or True. sort of understand what it is, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a little bit more difficult to remix the book mm-hmm. because at the, you know, whether it's on Kindle or in paperback, mm-hmm. like we kind of assume, well, if it's a book, it looks like this, Yeah, you yeah. know, it's a little bit harder to start putting that together. And I, you know, I mean, I can think of, 
you, examples of things that have sort of broken with that um, that standard format or something, but uh, they're really rare. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and they're and they're kind of all over the map. It's not like you can say, yeah, sci-fi turned into this kind of thing with its yeah. books, or you know, um, you know, literary history turned into this or what. I mean, you know, it's it's. Um, uh, yeah, it's it, a book is a book. We sort of understand what a book is. It is, except, <laughs> except so when it's printed, yes, it absolutely is. Even when you're reading it on a like a Kindle Paperwhite, then yes, it's st- it still is. But when you're reading it on an iPad or a or a smartphone where there are other apps and other experiences, the books because in it's in the print and you know kin- mostly pure Kindle form, it is a pure experience. There's nothing else is going to is come in and hijack your attention. That is the vessel that it's in is is all that that is meant yeah. for. When you get to an iPad or a screen, and, and and Kindle sales as devices have fallen precipitously, as you know the uh, uh, you know as iPads and things have kind of taken that, and the Kindle app exists there, but people are using those color e-readers or colored you know pads for that. When that happens, now all of a sudden you have an email app, you have a web browser, you have a Spotify app, and a YouTube thing to hijack your attention. Yeah. So a book in that format is not necessarily to me. I don't think it's the same thing anymore. It becomes. It becomes something else that you can't wrap your head or attention around in the same way, and I'm and it's that kind of jumping off point too that I'm wondering is are we missing as as a as a as a community as a world as you know as the publishing industry missing a, a beat to 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 accept that that okay a lot of the future reading is going to be on this device what can we do what what can the package or the mechanism be to take this story and is it such that you know, we we with certain, and this is this could take us any number of ways. But is it such that with certain stories, we don't look at three hundred and four hundred pages or what you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand words anymore, as a as a one shot unit, as a one shot offering? We say, okay, to build attention and trust and interest in this author, we're going to take you know what would have been a you know a four hundred page novel, you know, the, the next Game of Thrones, we're going to break it up into like ten or twelve mini pieces that are either you know, free at first, or maybe the first three are free, and then you buy them for like two bucks a piece, and turn it into the comic model, where this, there's a series, because you think about the way comics are now, and have always been, I mean, it's not like they're just the way now, but, you know, you a comic comes out, you know, and they do a single issue, another single issue that builds on that, and they keep going, and they get 10 or 12, and they stop, and they collect it into what's called a trade paperback, and they sell that. And it's like, oh, here's this thing. And then they keep going. And then if they collect like three or four trade paperbacks, then they'll collect that into a hardcover volume of some kind. And they just keep going. They keep going. When you look at that hardcover, you know, or even just the trade paperback, like you've got on the table here, um, Black Science sitting here like that. At the end of the day, that's that could be a I mean, that's a novel. It's, it's just all the stuff that would be written out is visually represented. But, you know, they got to that point. And and sure you were in, you didn't start with it. Whoops, you didn't start with the single issues of Black Science, did you? No. Yeah, so you just you just jump right in. But there's a lot of people who started and got familiar and acquainted with that. So they're now you know hardcore fans of Black Science. So having that alternative way to get into an you know an author or get into a creator or a storyteller, yeah. you know, I just I feel like that there are opportunities there that have not been mined enough on the pure play you know writing side of things I, that's yeah that i mean all of that, that you said is so interesting to me on so many levels and one of them is is that's really random is length and yeah. to some extent people define a novel by length yeah and especially and you've probably encountered this like you know i'm 
<clears throat> I've been at that stage for the past couple of years where I'm, I'm trying to pitch literary agents and, you know, reading how to write the best query letter and what's the right length for this, you know, for my outline or my mm. synopsis or my, or the novel itself or the, you know, even the non nonfiction books I've written. And it's like, you know, Jesus Christ, like, why are we defining it by length? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I mean, you, you take that and you pull it back and look at like the hunger games or something, which I don't know anything about. Tried to read the first book could not, care less about what was happening in it Mm -hmm. but and that was probably if you took are there three books four books i don't know if you took them and smashed them into one novel and got rid of all the extraneous crap it's probably pretty good like it probably should have been sort of a serialized pulp you know like shorter books that came out more frequently and i don't know then maybe it's you know maybe it's five books but they're shorter or maybe it's one book and it's that length but it's not three you know i mean game of of thrones i was just gonna say yeah because especially the way he tells it from pov of every chapter he could start and end those books anywhere and honest to god you could make an argument that he does because it's not like the, the every one of them starts with some crazy you know like uh, uh, prologue chapter yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. introducing new characters that have nothing to do with the story you're about to read. Yeah. You forget all about them. And then, and then something dramatic happens at the end, but he could have stopped it anywhere in between. Yeah. And you could, I mean, if we, you know, maybe if his publisher said, you know, after 300 pages, like we're cutting, cutting well, you off. It would help with, like, the, it would help there with their business model too. Cause instead of waiting seven years in between oh, Jesus. publishing, they could be doing every two years. Here's a new one. Here's a new one. Right. And we look at how HBO has crafted the series. I think the interest in the series on TV is much higher than the books simply because it's delivered in that way. Yeah. You know, it's the same damn oh story God. for no all kidding. intents and purposes, but it's like, oh, we've. And so imagine if he were to have written it, in a, you know, and maybe instead of one book, it's three or four chunks. Yeah. Um, and then he could just keep going. You know, so I wonder what I would love to have. If, if, if he was sitting right here right now, George R.R. R. Martin, I'd be like, okay, so why? What what compels you to push out twelve hundred pages in a tome? Like what is why do you feel that is the is the is the the goal or the focus of that story at that time? You know, did you? I mean, what drives that? Is that your publisher? Is that you just going? I feel like I mean, you think about Lord of the Rings too. Now we think of Lord of the Rings. It's one volume, right. but it's three separate books. You know that are Lord of the Rings. So when you buy Lord of the Rings, you usually buy just the one. Yeah, that's what I did. You know, yeah, and, and granted, they still sell it separately too. But when you look at it separately, it almost takes you by surprise at first. You're like, oh, there's these three books that are part of Lord of the Rings, oh. and, and they're sort of a, a more uh, moderate length. Like you're yeah. like, oh, that yeah. yeah, that's a novel. It's not like yeah, a freaking you know Bible. This of- insane, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and Lord of the Rings is not. I mean, it's uh, unlike The Hobbit, which is you know meant to be a children's book. Lord of the Rings is much more you know studious writing and yeah. just feels more like a you know an anthology. Of this world, you know, in addition to the story being told, so it's kind of intimidating. And I feel like Game of every time George R. R. Martin comes out, he tries to replicate that right. every time. Oh my god! No so kidding. it's like, what if each book was? I mean, and I probably would read. I mean, I have not read a single Game of Thrones book yeah. because it's too long, and yeah. because the show exists, I'm like, I only have time for one or the other. However, if he had put out, if every two years or even every year, I know that here's the next, you know, 250 pages. I would probably jump in because it would be a cool thing every year to be like, oh, here it comes again. Here it comes again. Yeah. And all of a sudden now I become a diehard George R. R. Martin fan when I wasn't before. Or what if, know? or what if, uh, you know, Kindle had a subscription model where he just published every chapter as he finished it. Yeah. And yeah. cause that's what you were touching on too, is the serialization. Yes. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, artsy up this, I'll church up this conversation <laughs> a little bit from Lord of the Rings and stuff is that even like, that's not a necessarily a new model. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, 
almost certain that all of Dickens' novels were serialized in yeah. newspapers. I know for a fact that Ulysses by James Joyce was serialized, Sherlock Holmes. which is super freaking you know, brainy works that yeah. like, or at least James Joyce, where it's like every chapter is written in a completely different style. And it's, yeah. you know, it's like to think of that coming in your newspaper yeah. every, yeah. you know, every month or whatever is crazy compared yeah. to the way we consume novels now. So it's not, this, this is not, uh, um, like some off the wall idea. It's kind of like, yeah, how do we get novels back in people's hands? Yeah. I, 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 I like your premise of, you know, how do you activate that readership? Besides handing them a 500 page novel and saying, you know, well, it's interesting. read this and report back to me like that's <laughs> that's an awful way yeah. to encourage yeah. reading. You want yeah. to kind of dip your toes in. And I mean, if you could have read like, say, three chapters of Game of Thrones yeah. and known whether or not it was worth your time. Yeah. You might have just kept reading those chapters, you know? Yeah. Well, and you could argue, well, you can just get the book and read three chapters and find out. But I'm like, no, I want it to feel like there's a start and an end. Like, but but you think of, as you were talking, you think about exactly Everything else in media, even music to that, you know, to some degree, I mean, music is kind of its own thing, but everything else in media, every other, everything else in story media follows the bite-sized model, you know, and you could say, well, Netflix puts it all at once. Yes, but you can still watch individual episodes and decide, I'm not going to commit you, you binging becomes binging because everything just flows together well and it's great, right. but you can still watch the first three episodes of Jessica Jones as it is. And decide, no, oh, not for me. And then you're done. Like, you don't have to sit there and feel like, well, I bought this whole book and, I, and I'm guilty because this giant thing's sitting there and I don't have time today. And, you know, they make it so that you can work your way into it. And if you are, you, you are. If you're not, that's fine. I mean, TV's work that way. Comics has worked that way. Video games, I don't know. See, that's, that's the only difference. Um, and that video games have these, I mean, don't they do that with the like expansion packs and stuff? That's and true. Un- yeah, unlocked that's true. levels and yeah. things like that. I mean, but if you buy Assassin's Creed, you're buying like every three to four years, you're buying the Assassin's Creed main game that's yeah. got like, you know, 100 hours of play or whatever. Um, that's, and that's, you know, and that, there's another twist on this too. And then that's an immersive world where the story is occurring around you yeah. as the game goes on and not necessarily you sitting down in. So TV, film, video, comics, and books are the only thing where you like start and linearly go through yeah. and you finish at some point. You yeah. Know? So it's books are the only thing that don't behave in the same way. And again, fiction which is, books, which is like, yeah. And that, and when we think about it, like I was saying, and like you've been saying, that's really just something that's come up in the past. Yeah. I mean, you think about the history of literature is hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years old, and it's yeah. really only the past sixty years or so that we've gone. Yeah. No, you got to publish the whole thing all at once. Yeah. Like, you know, and and some of that I think is not necessarily driven by what the audience wants or what the market wants, but yeah. it's what you know. This is what I think about what so dramatically changed in the music industry with the, at the advent of Napster and then the invention of iTunes Mm -hmm. was the music industry had gotten used to selling a CD Mm -hmm. with 14 songs of shit on it and one single. Yeah. And, and you had to wait three years to get it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, I can just buy the one song that I want or I can just download that from my friend. And I think the book industry is sort of the same way. Like the people who sell books Mm -hmm. and literary agents and and stuff like that have sort of, they've got a model for how you sell a book. Yeah. And so to some extent they're probably contributing to this problem because they only know how to, they, they say, you know, if you're writing your first novel, it's a hundred thousand words. I don't know. I'm making this up, but they, but they give you like a word count and here's what the synopsis should be. And here's what the act structure should look like. And yeah, well, yeah, they're just selling like the same thing they know how to sell. They're not saying you write what you want and we'll figure out how to find your audience and uh, sell it. See, and that's Seth Godin's point is that he's constantly talking about I mean, every time he talks about book publishing, he's saying p- traditional publishers have long been in this cat mouse game of finding 
readers for your writers when it should be flipped. You should, the publisher should be the channel that has readers that you're finding writers for. It's like, hey, we have these people, these hardcore people are into Civil War. You know, they're Civil War fans. They love everything Civil War, and we have the email list that is those people. So, hey, you author over here that's an expert on the Gettysburg, you know, sort of sub sub battle. Like, we want you to write a special book for these folks over here. We're gonna put it out next year. So all of a sudden, they're going out of their way to find. You know, much like HBO has a channel, has viewers. Netflix has viewers. So we're gonna serve those viewers yeah. with creators instead of the other way around instead of being like hey here's the show or here's this book hey everybody hey you know it's like and so he's been that model and that model is largely predicated on traditional retail right you know it's like you have you know it takes so long to print a book and it takes so long to then take the printed book and find shelf space which is limited and blah 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 so they they can only do it that way previously that, yeah exactly that is such a huge point yeah. you know and so now that's gone so now it's like it, the onus is on us as creators as as consumers to want and expect other alternatives. I mean, I know I, I still bust open a traditional old classic hardcover book and read it from time yeah. to time. I prefer Kindle, but I, it, I'm, I kind of, and so I'm not discounting that that is a, a good you know format for some people or, you know, for even for me, but there, I think it's the onus is on us to find these other ways to take, you know, purely, you know, pure play, I'll just call it pure play, write your know, written story or pure play story. And, and you know, carve it up or find different ways to do it find different ways for fiction to to build that audience because i you just see the glut of stuff being put out that's the other thing too is that the to attract that attention is one thing but the competition for that attention is so i mean you could have the best friend in the world who put out a book and you're like hey and i actually had this experience happen to me where one of my really good friends in denver put out a book and I'm like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And having read the first one, I was like, I'll get to it. And I still haven't gotten to it yet just because I don't have the time. So I'm like, if she had put that out as like, you know, chapter by chapter as a blog post each week, I would have found the time because it would have been 10, 15 minutes of my time each each week. I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, cool. And then by the time I was done, I would have read the entire thing probably. And then I, you know, if I really liked it, she could have sold me or, you know, pitched me like the hardcover sort of collector souvenir of the book that I might never crack open, but it's like, well, I read it, but I want, I want to display that on my shelf. Cause I love this. Yeah. You know, so almost the book becomes that at that point. Right. But I, I now, but now I'm like, well, I read the story. So now I'm eagerly waiting the next one. Right. So I might read the next one, start to finish knowing that, Ooh, this is, this is really good. Or I am really interested in this, or I might just continue to, you know, crank through the, you know, the one-off weekly thing too, you know, when we, when we were putting together the notes for the show and I, I said, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was sort of those new models for it. And yeah. one of them I'd forgotten to put on the list is uh, lean pub, which mm. specializes in like mostly like, you know, books by developers for developers. So, you know, here's a big manual on, on Python or something that you oh, want to learn okay. or whatever. And, but one of the cool things about what they do is you can say, look, I've got a, you know, I've got a 400 page manual on, on the CSS coming out. Um, here's a sample chapter. And as I understand it, uh, their model, you as the consumer, like they, you know, if I've only got like two chapters written, I can say, Hey, right now it's five bucks, but you'll get the whole book when it's written. Uh, and then as it's written, when I've got 40 chapters, it's going to cost $40. Like I can change that, you know, cause mm -hmm. coding books cost outrageous amounts of money. It's, yeah. it's silly, yeah. but, but basically it's like, if you get in at the beginning, you're going to get the whole thing for cheap. Interesting. And as chapters are changed and edited, they're going to push you the edits and changes and, and you buy it and then you choose how to download it. Do I want a PDF? Do I want a Kindle ebook? Do I want a Nook? Do I want you know, uh, iBooks, whatever format, they just yeah. allow you to download it and, and do it. So that's one model, which is kind of, here's a sample, get in at the beginning and the price is going to go up as I get closer to the end. Yeah. And then there's this other one that I, I think is really intriguing, which is ink shares, um, which 
you know, all these things that encourage, uh, you know, authors to just sort of jump in and start doing their, their thing yeah. I, I, that without the traditional model, I think it's great. Like, I yeah. don't, I don't want to, you know, bad talk that at all. Oh, sure. <clears throat> but their model is you go find your readers. Like you're giving them a pitch, like a Kickstarter kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you hit enough people, like if enough people say, and I, th- I think it used to be 750 and now it's a thousand people. If that many people can commit to buying your book, then Inkshares goes in, partners with you, mm. and prints it, and you know, edits it, prints it, helps you make the cover, do, does all wow. the production work for you, and your partner's on the on the royalty split. Do they you know? give you a platform to find those people? Yes, okay. their, their their website is definitely like a platform for okay. sample chapters and stuff. But what and what we're talking about now, you know, makes me think. Well, yeah, but the problem is you're still going all in on a completed work. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. you get a sample chapter or something, but in reality, it's dumb for me, unless I know, like I want to read this whole book. It's yeah. ridiculous for me to say, yeah, I'll pay 1295. Yeah. 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 To see if you finish this. And I like the finish, but you know, it's yeah. like, I would much rather go the serialized model and say, yeah. I'm going to pay a buck per chapter. Yeah. You know, and when, I, when it loses my interest, I stop paying. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. but, <laughs> well, you I know, mean, it's, I, I, that is, it's a weird, I, I don't like that Kickstarter all or nothing kind of deal. The all or nothing. I mean, let's just take a practical example. Like I, as, as we've explained before, I'm a huge fan of the series East of West, um, Jonathan Hickman on image. And I discovered that purely from a one-off, like they were in between seasons, uh, you know, last December and they put out kind of like the world, like a little world compendium you know, single issue thing. And I just thought, and the cover art really struck with me. I'm like, what is this? What is this? It's going to start opening. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is amazing. What is this? And they had like a little mini story in there too, but it was like the most perfect sort of introduction to this, but they had just completed year one and they were going into year two. And if that had come out and he, I think he's doing like four or five years of, of the apocalypse and the whole story. If that had come out in one gigantic thing, it may, the cover may intrigue me, but I just be like, this is going to take forever. I'll get to it. Eventually I'll get to it. Eventually right. probably may never have read it. This way, though, I could go back and sort of hand pack at one or two issues and go, oh, this is cool. And then feel like I could catch up and then feel like now I'm st- and more importantly, instead of waiting a year for him to finish year two or two years to finish year two, where all of a sudden he's got to go back out and remind everybody, hey, this. Hey, you remember you like this two years ago? It's back. You know, because the owner shouldn't be on me as a consumer to f- to wait and, and constantly check in. Like right. I need to be told by the creator, hey, it's ready. So if you can figure out how to do that, fine. But. If every week now I'm invested in checking in, checking in, and like all of a sudden now I will have consumed that entire thing over the course of three or four years. Yeah. But I have paid attention to him and have funded him the entire way. Yeah. So it's like, what is that? You know, what is that? For, and, and you could argue with the not the the pure play written novel or written story does not lend itself to that. Like, you know, there are some stories that like you know Da Vinci Code or Angels and Demons. Like, and I would say Angels and Demons. If I had to read that as as chunks you'd have to tweak it because it very much it's, it's one night as a story and yeah. it would feel very disjointed to have to go, Oh, every 15 pages, I got to stop and wait another week. You know, like what the hell? Like, that, that's a huge point too, is because for me, at least with the novels I've written and just the way I conceive of writing a novel is I got to write the whole thing yeah. before I want anyone to see it. Yeah. I, and even when we bring up these other, these other, you know, much <laughs> these famous people, it's like, I, I you know, i Dickens might've been writing week to week and James Joyce might've been writing like, you know, publishing chapters before he knew where he was going. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know it. That may have, they, they may have fallen into that. And I think comic yeah. creators, they have a little bit more room to dance around on that. And, and because it's a collaborative process already, yeah. it's not like one auteur's 
you know, vision. It's, yeah. it's people collaborating on a vision. And, and so it's going to evolve over time. Yeah. And maybe where he ends up is not where he thought he would, you know, would when he started. Yeah. But, but for authors, it's much more of like a solipsistic yeah. you know, process. But what about, like, what about like, so maybe now as you're, as you're, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, like this, maybe this, what I'm describing works perfectly well for anthologized short stories. Or serialized short stories. Because what is Sherlock Holmes, if not several short stories about right. Sherlock Holmes that came out in the newspaper? That's yeah. how it was published, too, um, that were then collected together and bound together. But Conan Doyle could do, he could drop you back into that world. So, what if there are short stories about a world that you can keep building on, keep building on? So, it feels like it feels comfortable for the, the pure play written format, but it can still build a world. You can build a brand around the author and you could potentially have it in other mediums and yeah. stuff. You know, because at the end of the day, like, I mean, Maybe you're not like this, but I, I find it hard to believe there's any writer who does not want to have the opportunity for other cross, you know, movies to be made, TV shows to be made, video games to be made, potentially made off of that work, like to have it expanded and live in other formats. If need. I mean, maybe there's some out there who just like, no, the written yeah. word is the only word. But, you know, it's like if you have that ability, I just I keep thinking. And maybe it is a case by case basis, because like with, with you, I mean, have you ever written a short story that you're like. Oh, I, want, I mean, I, it's ready now, but I, it, but you're compelled to keep going with more from that character, more from that. Well, that's a really interesting question, and it, it kind of builds off of, of the last thing I said, which is, like, I just don't write short stories. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> so, for me, it's like, I conceive of, like, this is, this is gonna be a long-ass story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and long-ass to me is, like, I'm still writing Pulp Fiction-length things, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, my yeah. two novels are really short, like 50,000 words or something, and, yeah. um, and that's just kind of you know, I mean, when you look at what I've read as a kid, like the James Bond novels or something, that's what I'm shooting for. Nice. I just want to be like Pulp Fiction, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I have thought about that. Like, I've, I've conceived of that. Like, this would be a cool way to develop something is to yeah. come up with those characters, come up with that world, write a story that's sort of self-contained, and then build on that with other stories. You well, let, know? Me take, let me take a personal example from my side. So I have been working on a, a book series now for, God, almost seven years. The reason it's taken seven years is because I ambitious, over, overly ambitiously, can you do that? Overly ambitious? <laughs> Two adverbs. Uh, anyway, uh, it, grandiose ambition, let's just say that, decided it was going to be a four book series. And I you know, spent the first year of those seven years, like literally outlining the entire thing. Because I'm like, I'm not going to be like lost and not know where this is going. I'm going to have everything perfectly you know, <laughs> mapped out. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to, sh- you know, when this, if anybody should doubt this, I'll be like, no, no, there's a plan and I'll mean it, you know? So I have this entire thing, but it's every time I go back to work on it, I'm like, I have to look at book one. And if I, ch- you know, two things are sabotaging me. One, if I change a bunch of stuff in book one, I then have to go through the outline and say, how did these changes ripple through the rest right. of it? Which is very, if I, if I could crank these things out, that'd be fine. But that just, that puts me back off another month or two, just because I have sure. to go through that work. The other side of this though, is that every Every time I, I get to a certain point, I'm like, no, and I, I constantly go back and change, constantly go back and change. When if I had just, and sure, there's, there, it has improved significantly as a story since you know, I started, but I'm at that point now where I'm just spinning my gears because I'll get to a certain point and I'm like, no, and I'll, I'll tweak, but I have to tweak, you know, 300 pages. Yeah. I can't just tweak. I can't just tweak 15 at a time, 15 at a time. And then as I'm going, I'm getting increasingly disheartened that I'm going to spend all this damn time on this thing. And sure, there'll be some people who care, but I will have missed some massive opportunity to build an audience around this world as I go. And it may not necessarily 
fit perfectly into this, but the way I, I, and this is just me consciously doing this. I'm like, I want to, I want this to be so easy for a TV producer to go, Oh, there's a season. So I even have like, (laughs) there are 10 chapters in each book, each chapter or section has like a name or a title like an episode would and it's composed of little small kurt vonnegut dan brown micro chapters right so i use those to to control the pacing back and forth so i could take each chapter and just put it out every two weeks or every week and it would feel standalone but it would still feel part of a connected whole yeah. like an episode would and i'm really considering doing that because i'm to the point now where i'm like i can't it'll be another seven years if I keep doing the way I'm doing it. And that's kind of, that necessitated a lot of this discussion too, just me going, am I, am I missing something by trying to force it into this game of Thrones, you know, format or can I just start putting it online? And then if a bunch of people love it and they want to read it and they want to hold it in their hands, I can do like a kick-ass, like limited edition vinyl, you know, as it is, you know, like, you know, hardcover kind of thing that I design that's limited edition that is a hundred bucks a piece or something. (laughs) Cause by that point, if you have people who are like, no, I want it, I want to hold it. You know, and it's not just a Kindle version, but I think to get, you know, and then just keep going with that model if it works, you know, because then, you, so let's say, let's, let's use you. If, if you had heard, oh, hey, Taylor wrote a book, when would you have time to sit down with three to 400 pages in addition to everything else you have going on? I mean, would you, knowing who I am and knowing that we're friends, would you jump in or would you hang tight and, and wait until you had time, wait until you had time and maybe six months before you have well, time? I mean, I would definitely, that's, I, I love that question. <laughs> I would definitely try to jump in. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been in the same position you have been in with, with other friends where I've been asked to read something and it's like hard to get around to it just cause you know, I got other stuff going on or I got other stuff I want to read. And it's like, I've, there's sort of a weird priority in my yeah. head of what comes first or yeah. whatever. But, um, certainly because we do a podcast and you check in on me all the time, I would feel like I have to, but, um, but it raises that other interesting question of how, what would be the best way for me to do that. Yeah. And I think, I think your point is like, if I knew your, a new chapter comes out every week yeah. on your blog, then, you know, I almost have no excuse or something. I know where yeah. it is. I know it's easy to get there. And, and you're not putting too much responsibility on me to go yeah. hunt it down. Yeah. If it were on Kindle, I'm, <clears throat> I'm pretty good about that because I'm, uh, I, I love the original Kindle. Like I've hung onto mine for so long. I, I want the new paper white, but I'm just like, I'm in love with the old one with the keyboard. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, um, but I, and I'm really good about, I also have the apps of course. So I'm really good at like, if I've got a spare couple of moments, just opening Kindle and reading something on my phone, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's me personally. I don't think you can count on that. So that blog example, I mean, if it's on your blog, I can read it on my phone you and know? you can share that link on Facebook. You can, yeah. you, you, the, a user, a friend doesn't have to go download it, find it, then f- schedule time to read it. You can just go on Facebook or Twitter and be like, Hey, first chapter's out today. It will take you 10 to 15 minutes, maybe yeah. give or take to read it. It's, it's all of a sudden now you've taken what, whoops, you've taken what could be, you know, 10 friends being like, I guess to now a hundred friends being like, Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and they, and that's, that's not assuming they will all like it, but at least gives you the option for them to go. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, it's, I mean, the lower, the, uh, the problem I know too, from releasing music is like, sometimes you need that barrier to entry yeah. to really commit the audience to whatever it is, because yeah. I'm, I'm I, the problem. I mean, <laughs> on my, on my, on my blog, which has been untended for a couple of months, but <clears throat> in its heyday, I, you know, ranted or raved about this a lot, which was, I, I it's just a real personal 
goal and value of mine to get everything out as free and open as possible mm-hmm. to let anyone read it as much as possible. Like I just want, I, I aspire to the open culture or the free culture tag on creative commons, even though yeah. I still um, hold back when I license my stuff and, and, and uh, allow the, whatever it is, the non-commercial is the yeah. one restriction I put on it. Like, yeah, you can remix my stuff. I just don't want you, you know, making money off of it or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I aspire to just like, let it just be free, you know, like, and, um, but I know when I, I do that, I, you know, I would release records or singles or EPs or whatever. And then I would have people come up to me. I thought I'd been doing a great job of sharing it on social media. And I'd have people come up to me and say, yeah, well, so what's going on with you? Are you, you know, are you still recording? And I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ, I've been sharing this every day. All yeah, we yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously it's the easiest thing in the world for this person to listen to it. That's and they're point. still not doing it. The, and, and the song is what, probably, three minutes. I mean, it's yeah. three minutes. So the, the, hmm, there's a good, there's an interesting thought. Can you get, I mean, because what I'm suggesting assumes that those same people would instantly spend three minutes listening to a song. But you could argue, too, that, that a song, people are so persnickety with their taste in music, whereas a story holds some kind of mysterious cap, you know, cap, you know, captive hold on people well and the other thing is there's a, there's a whole marketing discussion we could have which is like your friends are not your fans yeah you know that's true. and and as as these are ex- easy examples for us to give and say yeah I'd, you know I put it on facebook and it's easy for my friends to share it but they're really not gonna be the ones that engage with you on it yeah because you know for whatever reason i don't even want to speculate on that because it, it's it, it almost sounds uh, negative towards yeah, your friends or something, yeah, but that's yeah, not yeah. really true. Really no, what, you're right. what you're trying to do is, is make it available enough for other people to connect. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about with the Martian, which we both learned after seeing the movie, I think was that, that the author of the book was publishing it chapter by chapter on his, I on his site. Yeah. Um, and, and grew that audience had that perfect success. I think the story is he shopped it around and got rejected a couple of places mm-hmm. and decided I'm going to publish it myself with Kindle direct. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he did that, and then after that, when once the once the Kindle version that he had published um, became you know rose into the top hundred or you know twenty or whatever on Kindle, um, it it got a you know it convinced publishers like there's something here. Yeah, and I believe he got the book deal and the movie deal sort of simultaneously at that point because he'd sold enough. When you think about that book, though, that is a story that could lend itself to that serialized chapter thing very well. It's like, well, does it? I mean, I think so. I mean, I've skimmed it a little bit. And just when you, what, assuming, assuming the book and the movie are pretty much the same thing, I can see several points where you're like, you can leave, you'll engineer cliffhangers in there. You can engineer things that would, I see that, that would over a week be like, (gasps) and you're anticipating. But then when you read it together, you know, it's just one more, like satisfying. You're just like, well, I can't go to sleep now. You know, like what's, you know, and just keep going. But um, I also see the problem with that is if, and I, you know, I mean, it, regardless of whether he had the whole thing conceived or if he was writing chapter by chapter, yeah. it's he, at least that is to me a, a bad example of what you're talking about because he has the lost problem of where you're going to, as soon as you're reading the first chapter, you're thinking, oh shit, how's he going to resolve all this? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? A, but then, but then there's something else that we haven't talked about yet, which is if you do this, you know, after about three or four chapters, you're likely opening yourself up to the influence of the audience. Yeah. You get to see which characters they resonate with or which thing. Maybe you had a plan that all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, everybody loves this. And this is the real book. So you shift your story to accommodate that somewhat. And then in doing so, build more loyalty. And, yeah. you know, and it's not as pure. It's not as purely. Um, 
ego-driven art, which most art is, but there is there could be some kind of cool collaborative effect there that hasn't again hasn't been mined nearly enough yet for these kinds of stories. You know, right? If we wouldn't be having this conversation if you know. 25 successful authors have tried different things and we've seen it, but we haven't seen hardly anything. We've seen people scratch the surface at best with things like the Martian or thing, you know, well, I think the problem is there, there probably are a lot of people experimenting and stuff, but it's sort of like the, the, you know, remixing the form or whatever. It's like, it's so rare to, I mean, if you think of, if I think of the most successful, you know, novels that I hear about in my Twitter feed, they're yeah. all very conventional novels, mm. you know, and I, you don't hear of like, I mean, the Martian story, even that yeah. is, is probably a, a, a pretty conventional kind of novel. I mean, as, as awesome as the story is, and yeah. I'm sure as unique as the storytelling is and all those details and scientific influence, it's still probably a very conventional, like arc structure. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's words on page. It's not, it's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's maybe not multimedia. It's not breaking, you know, too many walls down or something. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it is difficult to think of those things. And maybe it's because as soon as it breaks one of those rules, we go, oh, it's not a book. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, the, it's something else. You, you know? bring up another good point. So when you introduce multimedia elements, let's say on a blog, you're doing, let's say, let's say in, in a perfect world, somebody is successfully doing this chapter week thing and it's, you know, they're, they're two years into this project, but a chapter is the written stuff, but then there's also like, you know, little short films that they film that might have, that right. might just be simple environment shots that they've created with motion graphics or short films or something that's just of that, of that story. Or it's, you know, they, they grabbed, you know, a couple hundred bucks and found some actors and film like a scene that, you know, so it goes, you know, it's written, 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 and it stops and you see the scene between these two characters and then it keeps going. Like, when that's all integrated in an interesting, cool way, is that still a book or is that, you just, I mean, is that a, multimedia experience at that point like what well i i mean and maybe it's one of those things where we get to that uh point where and i'll I'll bring it back to music again was i remember you know in the it was in the cd days but after the um maybe after itunes had come out or napster probably at least and we were starting to talk about digital and i remember referring to um you know a a complete work as an album yeah and (laughs) and (laughs) this friend of mine going oh it's not an album it's a CD. Oh, and I was like, no, album doesn't mean vinyl. <laughs> you know, I was like, no band goes in the studio and yeah, says, yeah, yeah. let's make our new CD. Yeah. They say we're making an album, which is a collection of songs. It's like a photo album or a music album. It's the same thing. You know, it's a, it's a word that means this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where a CD just meant like, that's the medium that the album is going on. Yeah. You know, as a yeah. compact disc. Maybe what's tripping us up is book is really the word for the medium yeah. that it used to be, yeah. which was hard or soft bound paper. Yeah. And maybe what we're reading now are novels, you know, but they are not books. Well, yeah. So, so maybe yeah. once you get that, yeah. that multimedia in it, it's still a novel. Yeah. It's just not a book. Cause I think about like, let's say, let's say I did this. Let's say I created that, that, you know, with the video and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm home at Christmas and, you know, front neighbors, like, who would be perfectly the fan of this thing. And it's like, oh, what are you up to? I'm like, well, I, if I tell them, oh, I put out a book, they'd be like, oh, where can I get it? Instead of, you know, I couldn't tell them that, but I couldn't say, hey, you got to go on your computer and read this cool story with other stuff. that I yeah. like, So how do you sum that up in a way that's not going to freak them out and make them go, I'm going to go do that right now. Like, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, maybe say, hey, I have a novel online. You should go check it out. Uh, it's got, I mean... That's I, and I, I, it's important that we define these things at some point because that 
there's going to be a lot of uh, you know civilians. You know, I think we're we're sort of more in industry and we think about these things in more technical terms, and it makes sense to us. But there's a vast majority of people who aren't who just want a simple, clear like, tell oh, me what God. it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, otherwise I can't wrap my head around like. It's cool enough that you did this, but I don't even know. Like, do I have to sit in? A, do I have to sit in front of a computer? Can I do it on my phone? Like, yeah. I, there's all these questions that get in the way of a buying or a, or a attention decision. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So it's like, what what do we eventually call that? And, and we don't have to do it right this very minute, but like, I think these are the kinds of things that need to be packaged or defined a bit more. No, you're as, absolutely right. You know, let me. I'm going to take you back to the outline thing of your growing outline yeah. of the seven year project because th- this is something that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be helpful or interesting yeah. or whatever. So I had read, and probably on io9, I believe, um, a while ago, someone had done a blog post on the you know the influences on George Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire oh, series, sure. which which you may not have heard of, or or I don't know what he was doing. It's you know whatever. It's <clears throat> it was just sort of collecting a few things, um, several of which I did not know, um, and one of those is a series of books by Tad Williams. Did I get that right? Yeah, Tad Williams. Uh, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. Oh, wow. Which, so I downloaded the first one on Kindle, and it was like, it was really funny. It was, I mean, I remember io9 or whoever, I'm sorry if it was someone else, their write up was, was like, was like, yeah, you know, a northern king dies and an unexpected, you know, bastard child is living in the kingdom. And I mean, hmm. it was like, holy shit, he just, he didn't just, <laughs> he wasn't just influenced, he just took this whole story. But, you know, Martin is definitely like, uh, you know, paid tribute to Williams and, yeah, and yeah, talked yeah. about. So it's not, it's not a, a rip off in that sense. Um, but I, I downloaded the first one and there is Williams wrote this. Uh, <laughs> I would say like sort of painfully protracted, like introduction to the novel. <laughs> and I just remember him talking about the outline and how it just got out of control. And now he had basically made up his mind. This is three books. And so basically it's two you know, long fantasy sized novels. And then one that is like so huge that they had to print it in two volumes in paperback because oh, the spine couldn't hold <laughs> like it's, you know, it is as long as Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Just that one book. But he was, he was, he was like, no, it's a trilogy. Damn it. Wow. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going over that, but it, I just remember him saying such good things about that. And it's, I don't know. It touches on all those points of like, he had conceived it this way and that's how he wanted to deliver it. And that's the, you know, vehicle he thought would be best. Yeah. And, and, you know, and and what we're saying here, I think, I think this should all inspire you on to breaking whatever format you can with that story outline. And and maybe, maybe not, not even thinking of it as a series of, of different things, but it's just a, a series. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that was the other thing too, where I'm like, what if suddenly this becomes really popular? I mean, I would hope that would happen, but like, what what if it really does? And I've limited myself from the get go to just four things. I mean, right. And it, and as I thought about that, I'm like, there are so many threads that could just keep going. This yeah. isn't like a Harry Potter where he, you know, he lives and it's over. The, the, that arc is done, and we really don't have anything else to say. Speaking of speaking of things that were influenced by other things, as you were talking about uh, Game of Thrones. I want you to go on your own time, and you at home do this too. Go just type in. The, uh, the Worst Witch into Google. And it's a movie from 1986 that has become a classic Halloween movie at this point, starring Tim Curry, uh, by the way. <laughs> of course. Uh, and, and bizarrely <laughs> enough, Charlotte Ray from The Facts of Life. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Garrett. It is about a, and, and see if you can, see if you recognize any similarities. It's about a, a school for witches and wizardry, wizardry, or no, sorry, just a school for witches and witchcraft in uh, England that is uh, uh, run by this. A gray-haired, wise, uh, old witch 
and also this this dark sort of stern teacher witch who is a classic british actress um you know who dresses all in black and is and gives the main protagonist witch <laughs> a hard time the main protagonist witch has a sort of gingery looking friend that she runs around with and they're always you know they're they're constantly you know having these misadventures at school she's ragged on by a blonde-haired elitist rich uh uh, other witch who's constantly giving her crap about you know being a, a, a the worst witch. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see where else does this go? The Grand Wizard is who Tim Curry plays. He's not like this, but you just what it hit me about five years ago. I was like watching this movie, going, "Oh my god!" If J.K. Rowling doesn't admit this <laughs> at some point, it's just yeah. too it's too eerily similar. The fact that there's a Malfoy girl witch is what really wow. blew, that blew my mind. But then you have Diana Rigg basically playing the Snape witch. I'm just oh, like, man. how? And, and the fact that it's Diana Rigg, who in the late 80s was like, she was the Alan Rickman. The female Alan Rickman was Diana Rigg in the late 80s. Like, it's like, who who else could this have been? Dude, I don't even know what, honestly, I mean, not to go off on a tangent here. I don't know what she did between the Avengers and Game of Thrones. <laughs> but to me, it's just like, well, that's enough. Well, I mean, if you want. So, so, so Alan, she was the female Alan Rickman. Like, I mean, I must have seen her in movies and just not put it together. Yeah, like, oh, that's Diana yeah. Rick. And from she the was Avengers. of that stature. You know, she was, you know, she was in her like late 40s and was like, you know, I'm, I need I can I can be that sort of elder stateswoman of acting. But if you really want. So if, if you haven't paid attention to Diana Rick during that time and really want to enjoy yourself, go the Disney Channel in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, commissioned a series of like musical fairy tales that kind of alan rickman gotcha one of which one of which by the way was puss in boots where christopher walken played puss who could turn into a human and would dance and sing around and stuff of course but diana rigg played the evil queen in snow white okay and it's amazing okay it's amazing she sings like she has a bunch of different song numbers it has a really dark and twisted ending strangely enough um you know it's kind of there's kind of that dark jim henson vibe to some of these but I would distinctly remember this on the Disney Channel. But Diana Rigg is is the queen, and she chews the scenery so delightfully. Wow. Um, there was another reason I'm, I'm pulling out my phone right now <laughs> is um, there was a going back to Brett Easton Ellis to kind of tie this back to the beginning. He was interviewing an author, and I apologize because I don't remember. I think it was Bruce Wagner. Um, it was a David Shields. Yes, it was David Shields. Um. The author David Shields, who is putting together right now, he's got this really ambitious, like he's writing novels like a like a TV show, like a, like seasons, and he's planned out like six seasons of this of this thing, and then there's like each season has like four or five books, okay, you know, and but it's like this huge sprawling freaking thing. I'm pretty sure it's David Shields. I'm just double checking this. It well, as I, and I, I don't know exactly where you're going with that, and, and just in the in the interest of of. <laughs> filling up the space in between us at this desk. Um, as you're saying that I'm thinking back to something you said earlier and, uh, and just sort of wishing that when George Martin is done with game of Thrones, what would be so great to me is if they published one Kindle version of it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Instead of, instead of feeling like it's separate books, put those there. He just published a new book, by the way, of course, because he he should be doing other things, but, (laughs) but he did, this is not one that he's originally written. So he wrote, I mean, he wrote it, but it's been written. It was a series of short stories about Egon and, uh, and his knighting partner. so it's called the Duncan egg or the two, two people. And, uh, I think it, oh my God, I can't remember. It's a 
you know, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I think is the way they've compiled this and put yeah. it out. But it'd be great to see all the Night of the Seven Kingdoms stories in chronological order with all yeah. of the Game of Thrones stories as one complete publication. Yeah. And then you just think like the whole thing's done. Yeah. I'm just going to check in and sort of read a chapter at a time. Yeah. Instead of feeling like I got to finish this book. Yeah. Or that, yeah. that thing of like, you know, for better or worse that Kendall has introduced to us where we're watching the percentage of the book yeah, that we are finished yeah. with. I mean, yeah. obviously you're going to do that, especially if it's a huge book, but it's like, just enjoy it chapter at yeah. a time. Just yeah. get into like, this thing's going to go. I mean, you could read a, a chapter of Game of Thrones every day and it's still going to go on for a year or yeah. two or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as you were saying that too, I'm like, I kind of want them to prove our point. I want them to do that, but I also want them to put do that physically <laughs> so that we can just see how ludicrous oh my God. this gigantic omnibus, like Game of Thrones omnibus, you know, this basically a Gutenberg Bible for like all that. Well, as you were saying that about that other author, I'm thinking like, God, why, why even call it five books yeah. per whatever? It's just like, you know, put it out in chapters yeah. or, or, or uh, episodes. And then at the end of the whole thing, you know, like you were, uh, whatever your other example was, then put it out in different volumes or however you want to package it at the end of it, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> maybe I'll, the serialization doesn't need to be thought of as a book. It's know? exactly. I think that kind of sums it up. Honestly, I, I, I know we were, you were going to talk about uh, national, write a novel month um, oh yeah which is this month which is november it's november yeah and i've tried and you know what and I, I have i have tried that two or three times because i'm like oh this will inspire me and again the enormity of that goal i think just eventually i just it, it collapses under its own weight i think know? it's it's um it's such a it's such a great exercise to know that you can finish a thing yeah so it is a really great exercise in I'm going to finish a book. I'm putting this time limit on. I know how many words <clears throat> I need to write, excuse me, every day. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just got a tickle. <clears throat> He's got a tickle, folks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, uh, it's probably a terrible way to write a book. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> there, yeah there's yeah, my yeah. punchline. Right yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you want to talk about process real quick before we wrap? I know you mentioned a couple of things that you do use that I'm, I'm always interested in that too. Well, Along those lines, along the NaNoWriMo um, lines, that's I've never participated in NaNoWriMo, but I'm always aware of it, and it has at least inspired me to work on other things and try those deadlines with myself and stuff like that. Um, so I just um, can we just co comment real quick on how cool an acronym NaNoWriMo is? <laughs> like I know, and as far as I know, it has been around for 14 or 15 years. Wow, yeah. that acronym or just that that uh, the actual. Thing. National NaNoWriMo. Yeah. It sounds like a really cool hipster club that just opened up down by, you know, it's like, let's go to NaNoWriMo tonight, guys. It's like they thought of a hashtag before hashtags were ever even invented. No, a hashtag NaNoWriMo. Dirt oh, okay. Box is playing tonight at NaNoWriMo. So, yeah, I, I, that's one, I mean, that's one great technique of like, I'm going to take this many words per day or whatever. Um, I, I was just going to tell you like what, you know, uh, what I've been doing lately. So, <laughs> yeah, if we if you know if uh, Pay Dirt app is out there and wants to sponsor a podcast, I would love to to you know plug them every week. Yet, but or... um, they're they're the billing software I use for my freelance work. Oh, sure, and okay. They, I'm just I have I uh, confession have not used a billing software before this. <clears throat> I've used spreadsheets and okay manual crap and um, does it it manages your hours for that purpose? Yeah, okay. So what I've done is create personal clients for pro for my <clears throat> for myself for personal projects mm -hmm. and then i'm just running um time on them so i know how much time i'm spending per day on like a personal writing project okay 
do you have does that do you get discouraged by that as that ebbs and flows i mean like it's great the problem i had before was um uh because i'm a freelancer uh looking at pay dirt and seeing like these are the hours these are <clears throat> only the hours i've billed this week mm-hmm. and that's very frustrating to me ah. so i'm actually more encouraged by this in logging the hours i've spent on personal projects okay. because then i look at it and i go oh holy shit i worked for 60 hours this week you know yeah and it it feels a lot better to me like oh i'm working a, an ass load it's just on personal stuff that i'm not billing for you know okay, okay. so putting it in there is like um and on some projects where uh, you know, I'll, I'll set it to like, don't, <clears throat> don't list my hourly rate. Like this is unbilled work, but on, on specifically on one of the writing things I'm doing right now, I have it showing my hourly rate. So it's a personal project. And I kind of know at the end of the week, that's, that's either what it cost me or what yeah. it eventually needs to make me. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> that, you know? I, I like that. And I also use Basecamp, you know, for, for my professional work, but I've used that a lot. Um, especially last year I wrote a, a nonfiction book about work, which was <clears throat> it's a really specific style. It's every chapter. Well, say the title. For oh, sure. It's, sake. Called, it's called Good Simple Open. Available um, now at Amazon.com. Yeah, and at GoodSimpleOpen.com, you can read you can read it serialized. <laughs> uh, but it's um, you know, it was written in a very specific way. Like every chapter is you know, it's not it's not fiction. It doesn't continue a story. Um, <clears throat> so I just used Basecamp and made tasks every day of like write this chapter, edit this chapter, write this chapter. Okay. So it was. Very good for just keeping up with these are the ideas I have and this is how I'm going to check it off and get to my goal. You oh, okay, know? okay. Um, and it's that really that really worked out and I, I just liked it. And then well, I forgot to mention this. Let me loop back to pay dirt. Yeah, and yeah. good simple. Let me tie the whole thing together. Uh, when Do Taylor it. and I talked like a year and a half ago or something, when I was planning out Good Simple Open, um, you brought up to me this uh, paradigm called um madman architect yes. carpenter yes uh, which i looked up it came from a, um, a betty flowers i believe is her name she was an english professor okay she actually called it madman architect carpenter judge oh she adds that fourth one we have a, a you know taylor and i go back and forth taylor pr- thinks that in a production environment the judge the architect and the judge are the same person <clears throat> i think that's a good idea like if you're talking about web production or something um, she was specifically talking about if you're one person, you inhabit each of these roles as a writer oh, okay. and they should come sequentially. So in pay dirt, I've actually made tasks called madman architect. Oh, right, and neat. I've changed, you know, to writer. So I know if oh, I'm just thinking cool. about something on a project, mm-hmm. I hit the madman, I hit a timer on madman. So mm-hmm. I know I spent 30 minutes just being a madman today. Wow. Or I spent 30 minutes being a writer. That's a great idea. I never thought about doing that. <laughs> For those oh of you at God, home, the who... traditional like Nashville dry throat allergy yeah. season has hit me as we hit the end of this podcast. I'm so uh, if sorry. you're at home and you you, I mean, I have used Basecamp. I actually prefer Nosby, um, which is a bit for my visual taste. I just like how it, how it looks better. I like how it's um, how it's organized and laid out a little bit better. I just so so if you want something that's an alternative to Basecamp, like check that out. Um, Nosby app or just Nosby. They have different you know free versions. If you're just a single person, if you're in a team, it's very very economical. So that's cool. I think you've mentioned that to me before, and I have not looked it up. So yeah, I'm actually looking at my Nosby dashboard now, and it syncs with apps and stuff, just like Basecamp or any of those do. So it's you know, it's it, cool. Pick your poison at the end of the day. I think we covered it though. I mean, this Man, we could go, no kidding. There's more that I'm sure it could be said. So you know, if you're listening to this, whenever you are listening to this, definitely shoot us an email and let us know what you think. Um, you know, I'd love to know too, like how people out there in the world, you know, what their preference is. You know, is is all we're, is everything we're proposing just 
kind of you know garbage at the end of the day and you're like no no a simple book is a book and i just want that <laughs> like is that all you want or you're like you know what screw the book i want you know i want it to be projected into my mind and i want to have a mind share like if that's your version of a story then that's that's taking it to a whole other world that we'll probably be in in 10 years so we should probably at some point address that but yeah. <laughs> i love it that's, love that's it. what todd and taylor are going to do is address the <laughs> mind projection novels I mean, I say we joke about that, but that might be where we're headed at some point, folks. So we'll we'll figure we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah, maybe that's where where the Todd and Taylor show is headed. We'll just start projecting this podcast into, into your, your brain, mind. into your mind, like like Zebediah Kilgrave projecting stuff into your mind. Oh, I love it. We wrapped it back up. Jessica Jones. <laughs> He's got. They let him keep his his British accent well, too. <laughs> they let him keep his. Actually, that's that's more like Cockney. I thought, I thought you were going to go into the Australian. We can pitch the Bundaberg again. Ah, yes. Yeah, Bundaberg. Let's, let's sign off with the Transylvanian Australian. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Ginger beer. No. It's funny that every time I pick it up, I don't do an Australian accent. It's like everything but that. It's like. Right. And I think even my Australian accent is basically Murray from Flight of the Concords. I need to be, I need to be careful. Yeah, those Australians are funny. Those exactly. Flight of the Concords guys. Exactly. <laughs> well, anything you want to promote as we wrap? No, I'm coughing so much I, I can't promote anything. <laughs> well, you can visit me. I'm Taylor or sorry, at Taylor Trask on Twitter. And at some point or as very at various points, you can learn more about me at TaylorTrask.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R-T-R-A-S-K.com. I promise if you're listening to this in November, there will be something there soon that's pretty cool that'll finally get me up to par. So check Yeah, that out. I'm looking forward to that. And I am at hey Todd A on Twitter. And HeyToddA.com, uh, which there hasn't been a lot of activity there as of late. It's just sort of the standing portfolio. We are ToddAndTaylor.com. That's right. So find all our old episodes there. We've <clears throat> now done more episodes in season one than in season zero. Have we really? I think. Oh, that's that's fantastic. <coughs> My God, excuse me for all this coughing. I'm going to go drink like a gallon of water. And we will sign off and, and see you later. All righty. All right. Take care.